We've all heard the old story about the student who did not have his homework assignment and the excuse that he offered to the teacher was, the dog ate my homework. Well, that's an old, that's an old joke, of course, uh, and, and I, but I suppose there probably have been some students over time who offered that excuse. I, I read of some updated versions of that excuse. Um, a student told his teacher, my family got a new paper shredder and we had to see if it worked. That's why he didn't have his homework. Or another said, my, da- my dad thought it was a letter written to a relative overseas and he put it in the mail. That's why he didn't have his homework. Or someone says, supposedly, it was in the back of the pickup truck and we went through the car wash. And that's why I don't have my homework. You can imagine all kinds of variations of that sort of thing. And again, I'm not doubting that probably such excuses have been used and many more of them. What we see there is a tendency on our part to try and justify our actions. I I did what I did, but here's the reason why I did what I did. And it's not just students who do that. Um, We all do it in various regards, maybe on the job, maybe in our family relationships, in our church relationships. We have a tendency to try and justify ourselves. In fact, even... Criminals do that sort of thing. I was reading an article recently about the very common thread that runs among those who are imprisoned. And there are about five typical justifications that they offer for doing what they did. So a criminal in jail trying to justify his actions. Obviously the most dangerous area of all where we try to justify ourselves is in spiritual matters. And today we want to look at just a few very common excuses that we use wherein we try to justify ourselves, self-justification. That's what we want to talk about in our lesson this morning. We stop here just briefly to thank you for being with us on this beautiful Lord's Day in Middle Tennessee. It's a real blessing to be able to be together. It's like spring, finally. Uh, I hope it stays that way. We certainly are blessed today and we're blessed to be able to come together for a time of worship and Bible study praying that God will be glorified by all that we do and that each of us will be encouraged and edified. As we study along together, the lesson this morning is really a very simple one, not difficult at all. But as we study along, our challenge is to make application in our own personal lives. As always, of course, if there are any questions, be sure to ask those questions as uh, later on. So, what are some of these means that we use to try and justify ourselves? Well, someone says, well, at least I'm better than so-and-so, and and he names so-and-so. You know, that's really an easy thing, isn't it? It's very easy to point to someone else and say, I'm better than they are. As I've told you before, I imagine that there, in, in in a potential literal sense, there's only one guy in the whole world who can't point to someone else worse than he is. He is the literal worst person in the whole world. He doesn't have anybody to point to, but with the exception of that guy, everybody has others, plenty of others actually, that they can point to and say, I'm better than those people are. Because the fact of the matter is, there's some really bad people out there in the world, as as you well know. And so we can try to salve our conscience by saying, I'm better than those people are. Well, 
that sort of comparison is not good. You know the passage that I'm thinking of is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, notice, are not wise. That is not a wise endeavor. You can do it. Anybody can do it. It's a very easy thing to do to compare yourself to others and say, I'm not so bad, really, in comparison to others. But Paul says here that that is not a wise enterprise. In the text that Matt read for us earlier from Luke chapter 18, we remember the Pharisee and the publican who went up to pray. It's really an amazing study. And like so many of the parables that Jesus taught, it just sort of jumps off the page. It's just so easy to visualize this. Jesus was the master teacher, and his parables uh, are so interesting and make the point so powerfully. Read it one more time. He spake this parable unto, a certain, unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted." I want you to notice that in this text, there's the word that we're talking about, right? Justified. We want to be justified. There's a real sense of justification, or there's this false sense of self-justification. I suppose the Pharisee was guilty of self-justification as he talked about all the things that he had done. Uh, He was pretty proud of himself, and he was better, specifically better than that tax collector there, that publican. I'm better than he is. And, and you know, he could literally point to the guy, I'm better than he is. Well, that didn't make him justified. And the fact of the matter, it was, it was the tax collector, the publican, who went to his house justified because he humbled himself. Uh, and so we see the futility of this effort to try and justify ourselves by comparing ourselves to others and concluding, I'm better than they are. That doesn't work. That simply does not work. Another excuse that is offered is everybody's doing it. I'll tell you, if this argument worked, there literally wouldn't be anything that you couldn't justify because people are engaged in all kinds of horrible activities. Dig up some statistics if you want to. And and that's a pretty easy endeavor in our day and time too, right? You can get on the computer and you can... You can access all kinds of statistics at just a push of a button. Pretty amazing. Uh, Well, as you look to those statistics, uh, look how common it is for people to engage in all sorts of wickedness. If it's okay because everybody's doing it, then it must be okay to engage in fornication, extramarital or premarital sexual activity. It must be okay... Uh, to view pornography. It must be okay to drink alcohol, to use drugs, because the statistics say everybody's doing that, right? Or at least a lot of people are doing it. A majority of people are doing all kinds of sinful activities. Our point is, if the argument everybody's doing it is a way to justify what you're doing, 
you're way off the mark. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 2, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil, neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. Notice, don't follow a multitude to do evil. What, that, what does that imply to you? Doesn't it imply that the multitude probably going to do evil? The majority of people, most people, lots of people are going to do bad stuff. Don't do it. Don't follow them in the doing of evil. But right there, you get the idea that this justification, everybody's doing it, is a faulty justification because the multitude, the majority, most people are going the wrong way. You remember Jesus' very famous statement in Matthew chapter 7, beginning verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. Sometimes uh, people are a little bit uncomfortable with this notion that lots of people are wrong, lots of people are going to be lost. Right here, Jesus is teaching that, right? We have to accept the fact that the majority is wrong. Many will be lost. Few will be saved. Jesus is the one who taught that. And therefore, this notion that if everybody's doing it, I can do it. I'm okay because I can point to lots of other people doing the same things that I'm doing. This idea everybody's doing it, certainly a false sense of justification. Well, somebody else says nobody's perfect. Well, actually, that's a true statement, right? You can't argue that statement. Nobody's perfect. In fact, the Scriptures point that out. Romans 3.23, All of sin comes short of the glory of God. 1 John chapter 1, beginning verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. So, to this point... I'm not perfect. Well, that's not you're, not... you're not revealing anything there that we didn't already know. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, uh, that, that's not the question, right? That's not... The, the question is, what are you going to do about that? You're not perfect. We, we agree. Nobody's perfect. So what are you going to do about it? You're just going to give up? You're going to make no effort to do any different? You're just going to console yourself? Uh, continue in your sin because you're not perfect? Absolutely not. Paul indicated that uh, apparently some were thinking that way in his day and time. In Romans chapter 6 beginning verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Uh, apparently some were saying, well, yeah, sure, I'm a sinner. Uh, and God's grace will just cover that. I'm just going to continue doing what I'm doing. God's grace will cover it all. And Paul said, absolutely not. This is certainly a, a false effort to justify ourselves. Just uh, sort of diffusing the situation by, by admitting it. I'm a sinner. Well, it's not a question if you're a sinner or not. It's not a question if you're not perfect. We all understand that. The question is, what are you going to do about that? Actually, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 says that this excuse uh, is sort of suggests an intention, uh, a determination to continue in sin. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, if we sin willfully after that we receive the knowledge of no more sacrifice for sins. Notice, some people 
would sin willfully. And that, in my opinion, that would be the case of the person who tries to justify himself by just saying, I'm, I know, I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. So you're going to continue in that sin? And in the continuing of that sin, you're going to be sinning willfully. You know better, but you continue to do it. There's no justification in that sort of thinking. So the guy who says, I can point to others who are worse than I am, doesn't work. The guy who says, well, everybody's doing what I do, doesn't work. Or the guy who says, well, I admit, I'm not perfect. That doesn't work either. What about pointing a finger at others? Okay, I I know I did what I shouldn't do, but it's so-and-so's fault. It's my brother's fault. It's my sister's fault. It's some family member's fault. It's the preacher's fault. It's the elder's fault. It's I mean, there's no end of finger pointing that could be done. Um, What about trying that? Well, of course, uh, that's what little children do, isn't it? All of us who who, who are and have been parents and had little kids in the house, and so some problem comes up and you have to chastise the children, rebuke them, correct them, someone's done something. What's one of the first things a little kid does? Points a finger, but, but but what about him? He did this or she did that. It's very common conduct among children, isn't it? To point a figure of blame at someone else in regards to what you did that was wrong. Uh, kids almost always do that, especially if there is anybody else in the picture that they can point a, picture, point a finger at. They'll, they'll point that finger. Uh, but I'll tell you, what's sad is, too often we are all like children when it comes to our problems and our sinful activities. The oldest example of that, of course, as you know well, is from Genesis chapter 3, the first sin of Adam and Eve. And when the Lord sought out Adam in the garden, the Lord God called Adam and he said, to him, where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the I commanded thee thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Well, I did actually eat of the tree, but it was her fault, right? And as we've pointed out from this text before, as you well remember, he even sort of points a finger of blame at God. It was the woman, and by the way, God, you're the one who gave me the woman. It's really not my fault. Uh, I shouldn't be blamed. It was her fault. Sort of, God, it was your fault. You're pointing, trying to shift blame in that fashion. And as we've pointed out, these efforts at self-justification are flawed and they fail. It doesn't work. It didn't help Adam's case to argue that Eve had given him of that forbidden fruit. Another great example, to me it's just an incredible, amazing thing that it could have happened like it did. But you remember in Exodus 32, not so long ago we read this in our daily Bible readings, Moses is up on the mountain receiving the law from God. Uh, and while he is away, the people construct the golden calf. And when Moses comes down, they're worshiping the golden calf. Moses says to Aaron, Aaron effectively had been left in charge while Moses was away on the mountain. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot, for thou knowest the people, that they are set on mischief. 
For they said to me, Make us gods which shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And I said to them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me, or they gave it me. Then I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. I don't know. Aaron, most all we know about Aaron is noble and commendable. Uh, He's honored by God in many instances, but this is pitiful, isn't it? He does this. Now notice, thou knowest the people. I mean, it was the people. It's not my fault. It's their fault. You know how they are. They're, They're set on mischief. And so he tries that finger pointing, that blame shifting idea. It doesn't work. But you know what's interesting, and I think you've been impressed by this too. He says, they gave me their golden earrings and so forth. I cast it into the fire and there came out this. uh, This is even a lie, right? This is a bald-faced lie that he told as he tried to justify. I'll tell you, when you try to justify yourself, you're trying to prove that what you did wasn't so bad after all. Blame someone else and then even lie about what you did. If it comes down to that, that's what folks tend to do. There's a great danger in that. Again, none of that sort of thing works. Let me give you one more classic example. And I think this one was mentioned in our Bible class this morning. In 1 Samuel 15, beginning verse 13, Samuel came to Saul. Now this is, this is the episode, as you well remember. Saul, the king of Israel, had been sent to utterly destroy the Amalekites. That was a punishment from God for things that the Amalekites had done previously. And so God sent the armies of Israel to utterly destroy, to wipe out the Amalekites. Don't leave any, don't take any spoil, don't just, just utterly destroy them was the instruction. They, they go, they win a decisive battle, uh, but when they come back, they come back bringing spoil. And even the king as a prisoner and Samuel the judge and prophet, goes out to meet King Saul. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be thou the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Notice, his first response is, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. In other words, he wanted to get credit, because it looked like this is a pretty good deal. Good things have happened. We've won the battle. I... I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people. It was the people. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord thy God, and the rest have we utterly destroyed. So when it, when it looked initially like there might be praise or credit to be offered for a decisive victory, Saul said, Look what I've done. But when it was pointed out, no, this is wrong. You weren't supposed to bring back any spoil. Well, it was the people's fault for doing that. They did this. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. And so again, Saul there was engaged in that finger pointing, denying accountability and responsibility for what had been done. And that is a common thing. I think you would agree with me that these excuses that we're pointing out here is not earth-shattering concepts, is it? It's something we're all very familiar with. Would you agree that you have probably used every one of these kinds of excuses at one time or another? As I would. I would admit that. I've, I've gone that route before, haven't you? 
using these faulty excuses to try and justify ourselves. Finally, let me suggest to you this one. Well, okay, I was wrong. But I've done a lot of other good things. This is a bad thing, but I've done a lot of good things. That's an excuse that's often uh, put forth. And really, this view suggests that moral standing before God is sort of a balance scale. You know, If you put all the bad things I've done over here, then start adding up the good things I've done. If, if I can balance out the bad things I've done with the good things I've done, if I can get the scale at least close to balance, then it's okay. I may have done something bad, but I've done a lot of good things, and so that ought to offset. No, we know better than that, don't we? Matthew 7, we referenced Matthew 7 a minute ago. Go back there one more time. You know this is from that famous section of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 7, beginning verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works and then will I profess unto them I never knew you depart from me ye that work iniquity so Jesus here is depicting sort of the judgment scene wouldn't you agree and what what are people going to try to do in the judgment in the judgment they're going to try to argue that they had done lots of good things right uh, have we not prophesied in thy name, in thy name cast out devils, in thy name done many wonderful works? So they're going to try to list the good things that they have done. Now think about that for a minute. Any effort to do that on anybody's part, on my part or yours, any effort to try and list our good deeds in the face of judgment would be really to argue for salvation by merit, right? I've done a lot of good things. Oh, so you earned your salvation? That's what you're really saying, right? If you make that argument. These people were making that argument. It, but it did not offset the fact that they were workers of iniquity or lawlessness. Uh, any good thing that they might have done would not correct the sin that they had committed. We can't, we can't argue that our good offsets our bad. Paul had it right. You know this text too. In Philippians chapter 3 beginning verse 12. Not as there were all. But I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to tell you. In my view, I don't know, if, I would think you probably share this view. If there's anybody that ever could have said, I have earned it, I did enough, look at all the good things I have done. If there was ever anybody that was in a position to say that sort of thing, wouldn't you argue that the Apostle Paul surely would be right at the top of that list? Look at all the good things I've done. But he never, he never made one effort to suggest that that made it all all right. I have not already attained. I am not already perfect. Paul wasn't using that justification to cover up any failure on his part. He knew he had to keep striving for the prize. And we do too. And so here are five common excuses that are offered by people in an effort to justify themselves. That's what they're doing, right? Like the student who said, I don't have my homework because the dog ate my homework. 
or it went through the paper shredder. It got put in an envelope and was mailed overseas. It was in the back of the pickup truck when we went through the car wash. I don't know. Those are pretty inventive arguments, wouldn't you agree? I'm sure the, the, the school teacher is unmoved by all such efforts to justify on the part of a student. God is not moved by our faulty efforts to try and justify ourselves either. The only true justification is to deal with, with our sins in the way that we're taught in the Scriptures. That involves, if we're not Christians yet, we need to obey that simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. That, that justifies us, not on the basis of our own action, but by the blood of Jesus, we're made right with God. Our sins are forgiven. If you've not obeyed the gospel, we hope you make that decision. If you're a Christian already and you've fallen away, you've sinned, come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If you need the prayers of, of uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ, we'd be glad to pray with you and for you this morning. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.